What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Planeswalkers Anonymous, the only true crime podcast that's actually about Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Duncan Day, and I'm joined this week, like every week, with my brother Donovan. Donovan, you think we'll get to the bottom of this mystery? I, I hope so, because that's our entire plan for the day. If we don't, then we, we messed up. <laughs> I mean, we've got to get to the bottom of this mystery booster. We'll get to that booster. Oh, what kind of booster is it? <laughs> So, um, before... Uh, All right. <laughs> I'm, it's a mystery, Donovan. We'll get to it. I said we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> I just love making loud clacking sounds as I slam things down on my desk here <laughs> for the audio uh-huh. content. Try to, try to get a little uh, Abbott and Costello joke going. Donovan's like, fuck you. We're not with this thing. Anyway, this week we are going to be talking about the current standard metagame, if anyone out there is still playing that format. Yeah, um, I it's actually been picking up at Boardwalk, so yeah. yeah, I'm hoping that once the rotation happens and people aren't like worried about picking up all these cards that they missed during the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the standard will get a little bit more robust. Yeah, it'll be good. Before we get into our... Uh, D and D format metagame. Well, I don't know the format standard. It's the D and D format. It's the uh, it's like the standard format Wizards, changes rogues since D and D came out. I think bards are pretty popular in D and D still. Really, because they're like kind of jack of all trade, master of none. Not good at very much, and they're not necessary to forming a party. Like oh, they don't. Fill no one who's actual roles. none of the people who aren't the bard want them to be the bard. <laughs> That's true. That's always been true. It's still true. <laughs> they're just, they're popular these days. Lots of people want to be a bard. No one wants a bard in their party. But, like, the funny thing about it is it actually is good to have a bard in your party if you have all your roles filled. Like, if you just have a big party, then bards are really good. Yeah. But, anyway, before we get into the actual topic of the episode, um, we usually like to go into Boardwalk at least once a week. I go into Boardwalk more than that. I I work there. I'm a, yeah, I'm actually, there a lot. I guess it's more like twice a week. We usually go in once at the top of the episode and once at the bottom end. Is it bottom or end? Is it both? It's both. It's both. All right. Por que no los dos? Exactly. Anyway, uh, Don, what's been going on up at Boardwalk? Y'all got some events happening? Uh, we got our regular weekly stuff still. Got uh, Standard and Modern on Fridays at FNM. Ooh, you're doing both now? Modern again on... Yeah, because Standard wasn't filling out the tables. Oh, so okay. We we let people play some Modern since Modern was always overflowing on Mondays. Sure. Speaking of which, we have Modern on Mondays. We got Commander on Wednesdays, which is also pretty full. And Legacy on Thursdays, which has uh, been been doing pretty well. For, for Legacy, that's good. Like, yeah, that is good. It's hard to get people to play that because it's so expensive. And uh, where what are... What's the um, timetable looking like for moving into your new, bigger, better location? Well, I mean, we're working on it. Four to six months, probably. Okay. And if you want to, you know, get less actual stuff for your money, you know, Boardwalk, you can get magic cards or playing an event or a board game. They do those things, too. Uh, Or Pokemon cards. Yeah. But also... New set came out this week. Oh, sweet. Yeah, go get your Pokemon cards. Go ahead, just, Evolving um, Skies. Get some... Uh, um, Rayquaza? Uh, P- Pikachu. They're really push it, pushing the evolutions in that set. What? So the 
the that set's got a lot of evolutions uh artwork going on is so. that like evolutions of eevee uh-huh it's got its own word evolutions. uh-huh evolutions okay well get all of your evolutions because no one wants to say flareon glaceon that boardwalk leafeon umbreon but you say evolution uh-huh or you could say evolutions one could do that uh but if you're not particularly looking for more evolutions or uh rayquazas or underground seas or rayquazas the yorion of pokemon <laughs> then the sky noodle you can go over to our patreon at patreon.com slash planeswalkers to uh support this show that's how we make this thing happen if you uh sign up at any level then you get entered into our giveaway, because about once a month, towards the end of the month, we give away all the cards that we've opened up on the show. And if you are new to the show, and you're asking... We didn't have to switch our Patreon over to Fansly? <laughs> no. No, we did have to shut down our OnlyFans. <laughs> oh, okay. Too much, too much explicit content on our OnlyFans? <laughs> yeah. yeah well, cause... I feel like our OnlyFans would have been safe. <laughs> well. I don't think I... I... I didn't think ours would be affected by the... No more sexually explicit content, Donovan. All those photos of my butt. I think we just better, better shut it down just to be safe. Okay. Anyway, um, if you're a new listener <laughs> and you're wondering, what? Podcast? What are you opening cards on a podcast for? Every week, uh, we open up at least one booster pack of Magic cards, and we talk about what's in it. Usually we just I just tell Donovan what's in it, and he goes, oh, cool. And then we set them aside, and we go on. But all of those cards that we open up on the show every month go to a listener of the show. Probably. I mean, you could technically not listen and still win, but... <laughs> It'd be weird for you to have signed up. Yeah. But you either need to be a member of our Patreon, which means that anyone who's a Patreon... Well, there we go, it. actually. that That's a good a way somebody could be a... Not a listener and still win. They became a member of our Patreon. They just agreed to pay us money. Yeah. Uh, but you get entered every week automatically as a member of our Patreon. In fact, you get additional entries for every consecutive month that you're a member. So, you know. For up to a year, right? They signed up. Yeah. Uh, well, up up to 12 entries. Uh, you can or actually, like, jump the queue by paying extra. 24 if you get the super duper entry thingy, right? Uh, yes, actually, that's true. So that's why I said year, because they get two every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up to a year, instead of saying up to 12. Sure, but yeah, that's accurate. Uh, but, 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 you can also... Yeah, more pictures of your butt, got it. Yes. You can also join the giveaway just by visiting our Patreon page, and in the About Planeswalkers Anonymous section, there's a description of how the giveaway works buried down in there. Maybe I should make this easier to find. But, down in there, there is a link that you can click that will just take you to a short survey what? that you can fill out. Why would we want to make that easier to find? Well, because no one ever uses it. Yeah? The way people give us money get the cards. Yeah, I, I mean, I prefer that also. But, like, the, 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 the survey exists because Patreon requires that we open it up to non like non-paying people. You don't have to pay to participate. So you can go take the survey. It's relatively short. It's gonna ask you some questions that we're like interested to know about you and also is gonna ask for your address and stuff because that's what we need in order to ship it to you if you win. Uh but 
Um, aside from that, I was going to say something else. Oh, right. I was also going to say, if I made it easier to get to that link and that survey and everything, then that... Or at least if I made it sound easier, if I didn't say, like, go to our Patreon, then go to the description, and find this link buried down in there, it might drive more traffic over it's to our Patreon. tell them it's on the description on the Patreon. Yeah, but if they go, I also want them to be able to find it. That's what that's, this is the dilemma for me. Anyway, patreon.com slash planeswalkers. That's where you can support this show and get into the giveaway, whether you are paying for the, paying the monies or just doing the survey. And this week, Donovan and Boardwalk have got the Mystery Booster Convention Edition. 2021 Convention Edition. 2021 Convention Edition. I know it doesn't say 2021 on there because they use the same packaging as before. Yeah. But it is the 2021 version. All right. So. They they took the the old Convention Edition had some of the artists that they've, they've since blacklisted. Oh, okay. And so... And it didn't have the, uh, oh no, because this is the convention edition, it did have. Yeah. Play and so they, uh, they removed some of those cards and increased quantities of some other ones. I know that that's not a huge difference mm-hmm. and I'm fine with them being counted as the same set, but I just wanted anybody who was wondering what kind of pack we're opening to know that it's the, the new ones. Yeah. And this, this is particularly exciting. Uh, I think these are cool. I like, I like the, uh, play test card things that are in here. So this is going to be very fun to open Donovan. Because he's just awesome, actually brought me two of these packs. One for the show and one for me. Just because I said that I would like to open some of these and like maybe get the the uh, playtest cards. And just because I thought it would be fun. What I'm going to do is I'm going to open up one pack here on the show for the listeners. And that's going to go in the giveaway. And then just because this is fun for me and I want to share it with anyone listening, I'm going to go ahead and open my pack and tell you all what I got in it. Tell but, them what they're not getting. But yeah, <laughs> that one's just for me. So, first pack, though, is for you guys. I, I'm not as nice as Duncan makes me sound. I did buy three packs when I did this, and I opened one myself. Um, that doesn't make you any less nice, Donovan. I was just buying myself a pack. I got you. <laughs> but you still had to buy three packs. It's not like you're like, ah, I was getting myself a pack, and so here are the others. <laughs> mm-hmm. The extras that I, I ended up with. Yep, that's right. Well, I mean, it's I've saved five dollars on buying three. All right, so this one, Fair. this pack is for the listeners. Listeners, what you got is a lonesome unicorn, a gleam of resistance, dread waters. Hey, that card's actually playable. A river serpent. Oh, and back. I'm gonna jump right back up though with a miasmic mummy. Yeah, that was standard playable. We've got a spreading rot from a set symbol that I don't recognize even a little bit. I can't see it. It looks like it might be... Is that not Ixalan? I don't know. I think it's one of the pirates and dinosaurs sets. Yeah, Ixalan. We've got a Azra Blade Seeker. Okay, that's neat. A Vessel of Volatility. Hey, does the Azra Blade Seeker have partners with... Or have... Yeah, does it have that partners with ability? Uh, Okay. It's. I thought it would be funny if the Mystery Boosters, they did some of the partners with cards. Because in Battle Bond, if you got one of those, you were guaranteed to get the other one in the same pack. Oh, yeah. But that wouldn't be the case with Mystery Boosters. So, and, like, there's, like, a thousand cards. So, like, it would be funny to me if they did that. It's like, probably not getting the other one, but... <laughs> We've got a Wooly Loxodon. Wooly? 
We've got really, really, really a larger than life. Yeah, it's popper playable. This is a card I think be good. Contraband Kingpin. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, people still play that commander. Uh, another one that I think saw a pretty good amount of play in like limited and stuff. Where it's we've got a Peace Strider. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's okay in limited. It's fine. And we have a Pathraiser of Ulamog. Hey, there's a good card. <laughs> and. Our rare is a Evra. One of our rares. Evra Halcyon Witness. Oh, rough. Hope the other rare is good. Is it bad? It's a sweet commander card, but it never took off. Exchange your life total with Halcyon. She's got lifelink, though. Yeah. So if you, like, turn her into a 44, and you go to 4 and hit somebody with her, now you have 44 life again, and then you can swap her again. Oh, I see, because it exchanges. Right. All right, fine. That that fair fair enough. I was like, God, I don't want to go four. Yeah, like it's it's rough if something happens to her before she connects. Right. But, I mean, if you have the mana, you can swap back. Sure. Like four is not too bad. All right, and our playtest card. This is the one that the listeners. Wait, get weren't to there keep. two rares? Uh, no. Oh. I assumed that the playtest cards were rares or something. No, sometimes there's there's two rares, and I had two rares in my pack. They just both sucked. No, we we've just got one rare in this pack again. Our playtest card here, though, is a Plain Merge Elf, which is a green and four for a 3-3 Elf Warrior. has Land Ship. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may look at the top card of your library. If it's a land, you may reveal it. If you do, create a 1-1 green Elf Warrior creature token. And it has Kinfall. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, if it shares creature type with card name, creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So... This is a 3-3 three, three for 5, and at the beginning of your turn, you look at your top card of your library, and if it's a land, you get a 1-1 one, one green elf warrior, and whenever an elf or a warrior enters the battlefield, creatures you control get plus 1, plus 1 until end. Ah, it's just, it's making fun of the kinship and landfall abilities. Got landship and kinfall. Yeah. Amusing. Alright, and that is what our listeners are going to get to keep if they win the giveaway. They're actually doing... Next week. Um, so, before I open up my mystery booster and just get to... What? You keep it in suspense? Just, yeah, just a couple of minutes here. Before I open up my mystery booster and let everyone know what I got, what I get to keep, uh, since we're giving away all these cards next week, I want to take a quick look back at what we opened up this month so that, uh, you know, if there's anything here that somebody listening this week wants... You have some time to uh, go sign up for the Patreon or whatever. Make sure that you have an, a chance to get in on this. Um, it looks like last week we opened up... Uh, the heck? Did I leave a card in the pack? What's in this? Nothing. Absolute bubkiss. Oh, the Void Mirror. Well, our Void Mirror was our rare last week. Uh, we also happened to get the uh, Retro Nested Shambler and a Relentless Rats. The previous... Week, I think that's the one we opened up two packs, so I don't know. Whichever, whichever week this was, um, looks like we had a foil half elf monk, a bard class, and a fairy dead. Which half of the monk what? was foil? Which half of the elf monk was foil? Um, I'm gonna go with the front half. Yeah, ah, yeah, the face of it was foiled. The uh, the card back is just a regular magic card back. Makes sense. And I think this is another pack that we actually opened that same week. What we've got here is we got a 
Was it a monster manual version of the Manticore? <laughs> Manticore? We've got a Grazilax Elithid Scholar. A foil bag of holding. Man, surely there's something exciting in this giveaway. I mean, there, there's going to be a uh, that playtest card. I mean, that, I guess that's what I would be excited about, personally. Then, from the previous week, we had a teleportation circle. Looks like there's a cleric class in here. I like that card. Yeah, that's why I mentioned it. And then the first pack we opened up for this month, actually, was a collector's booster from the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And it looks like in the collector's booster, we've got, of course, a whole bunch of foils and stuff. Um, just, you know, some, like, random foily stuff. And then we got a foil Cave of the Frost Dragon. We've got a full art Midnight Path Pythlider. Well, extended, I guess not. It's a Midnight Pathlighter. A extended art Grazilax Lithid Scholar. So we're going to be getting two Grazilax in this giveaway. A, a Monster Manual Celestial Unit. A Dungeon Module Evolving Wilds. That's pretty cool. I like that. It's not like a valuable card, but we've got a, another Monster Manual. This, this one's a Gelatinous Cube. We've got a Monster Manual uh, Etched Foil Hama Pashar Ruin Seeker. And a foil extended art polymorph. And now that is the for this month's giveaway. That true polymorph is truly, truly something to sign up to get. Mm, so this. I'm gonna add this mystery booster to this stack of cards, and let's see, we got a uh, a collector's booster of D and D, three draft boosters from D and D. A set booster for Modern Horizons 2 and a mystery booster convention edition. All, all of these were giving away to one lucky, 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 one lucky listener next week. And uh, if that doesn't do it for you, let me tell you, we've actually managed to get our hands on some other like things, stuff, magic-related products. That uh, I might give away to like a runner-up or something next week. Uh-huh. But now, as Don said, I've kept you all in suspense long enough. We've got a another mystery booster to open up, but this one I'm keeping. This is all for me. I'm sorry, guys, uh, but I thought it'd be fun to open it up on the podcast. Well, the one I opened sucked. The one on the podcast was uh, less it was, less it than was stellar. Awesome, and everyone wants. I'm hoping to that yours is amazing. All right, let's see. I've got an Undo Great Horn, a Rally the Peasants, Drag Under, Exclude, and yeah, Narcana Assassin. I remember that. You weren't excited about the Exclude? Mm-hmm. You like your kind of card. I mean, I guess. It's. It... Card's real good. Is it? Is it real good? Seems fine. Yeah. I play it in Historic. Yeah. Yeah, a Dreadbringer Lampads, a Volcanic Dragon, Mog War Marshal, <laughs> a Glade Watcher. Man, this pack is actually, I mean, these are just common so far, right? But, like, as far as commons go, I've got some good ones here. Because I got a Baskin Rootwalla. Baskin Robbins. <laughs> I got a Mortify. Hey, that's a good card. Yeah, it is. A Hexplate Golem and a Corrupted Conscience. Just one rare, though. It's a Grasp of Fate. Hey, that's a good one. Good card. And my playtest card. I got Enroll in the Coalition. It's a white and three for an enchantment. Says you are a flag bearer. 
While choosing targets as part of oh, casting yeah. a spell or activating an ability, your opponents must choose at least one flag bearer if able. That's kind of neat. I remember the flag bearer mechanic from uh, Dominaria sometime. One of those sets. Mm-hmm. One of them. I want to say Judgment. Yeah, it makes sense. Might, might have been in that whole block. Apocalypse. I should have known. That's the first deck was from Apocalypse. Awesome. Duh, I'm so dumb. Of course it was Apocalypse. But that pack is mine for just me. I get to keep the uh, Coalition Relic thing. You got a Coalition Relic? No, I got a, a Relic of the Coalition. Oh, yeah. I got what somebody imagined might be something that had to do with the Coalition. I don't know, Donovan. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Da-da-da. You're enrolling in the Coalition. There we go. Got there. Um, But that's, like a, that's all of our uh, stuff that we need to do before we get to our main topic, plus some stuff that we didn't need to do, but I did anyway. So best kind. That, that's that's pretty much much it for me. Um, we will catch you stuff. again next week. You, meantime, you can find me at <laughs> Boardwalk Games in North Dallas. I'm gonna turn the show over to Donovan next, actually, because I don't. Oh, we're not ending it. No, I I don't actually know very much about standard or meta games. I'm really bad at that stuff, uh, but. There, there is one thing that I thought is, was really cool about the metagame that uh, doesn't seem like anyone else does. So, so I make Donovan do it because I'm bad at it, but I think it's cool. Which is <laughs> this concept of the metagame clock, which was created originally, I think, by Leon Workman in like the year in like 2000. So it was like 20 years ago. Um, but the idea is basically you are just wee little lads. <laughs> Yep. The idea is basically that people think of the metagame frequently as like a rock, paper, scissors scenario, right? Is you've got this sort of triangle of decks. Is you did, and this one beats that one, and that one beats this one, and, and that's how you choose which game to play in the metagame, you know? Uh, but frequently, there's more than three decks. Uh, but our buddy Workman figured that those decks still work that way. It just works as like a full spectrum. And not only do do the decks fall somewhere in that spectrum of, like, this beats that and then that beats this, but you can actually, uh, like, kind of quantify what's more likely to beat what. Now, this isn't the end-all, be-all, right? But uh, his theory basically comes down to, and we're using different terms that he used back in 2000, but, like, mid-range decks tend to beat combo decks, combo decks tend to beat tempo decks, tempo decks tend to beat aggro decks. And, uh, like, control decks are somewhere in the spectrum between combo and tempo is what gets generalized as what? control. Do what? I think you went backward. Um, did I? No, you said aggro beats tempo. Never mind, you're good. I just got lost somewhere in your clock talk. Um, no, I, I think I did go backwards. I think you're right. Um, <laughs> I, I did list those backwards. I was just looking at the clock and going around it clockwise because that's how my brain works. Um, mm. But... It, it's actually true. The, um, you want to go around it clockwise whenever you're finding what to play based off what's being played. Right, right. So as you move clockwise, the decks you're moving to beat the ones behind beat it. Beat the and, ones you're moving from. And and I say clockwise because for those of you who aren't actually looking at the image that we'll post with the with the show, as always, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be the splash image. If you're looking at the show on SoundCloud, there will be a link to it in the show notes. If you're looking at on like Apple or whatever, you can you can find it. It's going to go to like an imager page with this with this picture. Or if you're on I'll our, I'll try Patreon, to use the image in the Facebook post too. 
Okay, cool. And if if you're on our Patreon, it gets its own whole post. I post it up. Here's the clock as it's as a separate post from the episode and everything. Uh, but um, the clock is just you know a spectrum. As with all spectrums, is basically a circle or can be represented as a circle. And then we have degrees of rotation enumerated around the clock. And that makes it look like a clock. It's a circle with numbers going on, right? And to, to reiterate accurately this time is on the clock, you got mid-range beats aggro, aggro beats tempo, tempo beats combo, combo beats mid-range. So that's the idea of the clock. And interestingly, some decks that are like called aggro decks are actually land as like a mid-range deck on the clock or a deck somebody calls a tempo deck ends up landing right in in between tempo and combo which where where we have the control label and ends up you know there's there's some like uh user error basically in terminology and stuff like that um or the variations in the specific metagame can affect how the clock works uh but what we're gonna do or what what we do on this show is um we fill out a metagame clock specific to each format. We wait a little while after a set comes out, see how it's shaken up the metagame, and we publish a new clock that will let you know uh, where the decks fall so that if you think that whatever the biggest aggro deck is right now, then uh, you'll want to play the mid-range deck. That's what, what is it, about um, 15 minutes ahead on the clock is the ideal place to be to beat the whatever you think the deck that yes. you beat is. 15 minutes, yes. All right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so clearly, after, after like this whole long spiel that I've done about how this works, it's going to be most helpful for engaging with this episode if you can use one of those math- methods that I mentioned to get to see an image of this. But what it comes down to is, I, is like, like I said, I said like five minutes ago before I went off on this whole rant, that I was going to let Donovan talk for a while. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to let Donovan talk, and Donovan is going to tell us about where each of the decks that are in, like, the top... What are we doing? Like, the top eight decks getting played in Standard right now? Yeah. Uh, we just went with everything that's above 2% meta share on the website we were checking out. Right. Okay, so... Uh, MTG Goldfish, I think. Yeah. And so Donovan is going to tell us, basically, where he thinks these decks end up on the clock. And, uh... Yeah, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shut up now. Don't you want to tell us tell us what these decks are, what what kind of a uh, kind of number they're getting, and and why? Yeah. Um. So I'm just gonna go down this list on the highest meta share to the least on what we've got here. Yeah. Goldfish has Sultai control at about a quarter of the meta, um, which is a, a pretty good chunk for one deck. Um, and. I'm going to talk a little bit about what the deck is and what it does, and then I'll place it on the clock. How does that sound? Sounds great. Um, That'll help not only for us, you know, knowing where it is on the clock and and all that stuff, but anyone who is interested in, like, why it exists in this place on the clock, not just here is the information, you know, that seems helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, So Sultai Control is going to be, I think we had it, on the list before as like oh last it's on here somewhere right yeah it's the sec the second image down unfortunately any that's not okay. really important here, here it's at 14 
Um, let me get you this image. Um, the previous time we had this on here, I think it was listed as Sultai Ramp, not Sultai Control, because they were playing a lot more copies of ramp spells and less cards that interacted with your opponents. But the way the meta shifted recently, pushing the deck more towards control um, has made the deck better. I think, oh, it looks like on the previous clock we had Sultai Midrange and Sultai Control. And so I think before the midrange version or the ramp version, whatever you wanted to call it, was a little bit more in the combo section. But the, the current version of the decks pushed more towards control because it doesn't it it doesn't even do the Sultai Ultimatum thing as much anymore. It's it still can and it still plays those cards, but it just doesn't push towards that as often. Yeah. It's more about controlling the board and just slamming a big threat. Um so I, I, w- I would say with it's just playing all the classic control elements of uh, board wipes, counter spells, removal, cantrips, sure. you know, a little bit of card draw. I, I would say that it's pretty solidly at where we have control. I think where we had it before at 14 is probably more accurate than where I was about to say before. So I like 14. It's a little little on the combo-y side, but uh, it's, a, it's a control deck through and through. Sure. Um, and then we've got the next biggest share of the metas, Demir Rogues, almost coming in at 10%. Um, and that's just the, our, our classic tempo deck right now. Um, it's a little, feels a little kind of like a towards the combo-y deck because it, uh, it's got a lot of mill cards in it and just milling feels like a combo, but I, I wouldn't really say it is a combo because it's, it's just instead of attacking the life total as much, you just can also mill your opponent out. Yeah, I think it's just a different avenue of attack. And it's kind of interesting because I think uh, the last time we filled out the clock, we had like a Demir Mill deck in at like 15 and the Demir, and Demir Rogues in at 26. So it seems like those decks kind of coalesced a bit to more like a Demir Rogues deck around 20 with, with some milk on or some. More yeah, stuff. yeah, it's just it's it's solidly in the tempo deck thing, um, but it, it leans a little towards control. It doesn't. It doesn't actually get that aggressive these days. I really like playing a more aggressive version, but okay. I would say that the the, the accepted tier one lists are are going to be more on that just disruption side of the tempo zone. Sure. So leaning towards control. So I'd probably say push it in around twenty. Okay. Um, we've got red black sacrifice, which is a it's kind of in the aggro tempo zone, which it, this makes sense, right? For the the biggest deck to be this uh control deck and then the the next most popular deck to be something that beats that and then the next popu- most popular deck to be something that kind of beats that right yeah that makes sense um and it's it's got it coming in at around 10% as well um and it those numbers might be swapped as far as which one's actually most popular cuz i think it had the same percentage on these so those those could fluctuate back and forth as to which one's more popular mm-hmm. But it turns out depends whether people are trying to play the what they think is the best deck. They're trying to next level it, or they're trying to to next level the next level. They want to play some three D chess. Sure. But um, it's a pretty popular deck. Um, the Red Black Sacrifice deck plays uh, Claim the Firstborns and Village Rights. It plays a Crow and War in the main deck, which is another cre- card that just takes your creature, and then plays like I think like even Deadly Dispute to make sure it has the Village Rights type stuff more often. Um, let me actually pull up a list for this. So when it looks at them, I think I think it plays some some other ways to sacrifice your creature 
Um, so some of the lists will even play something like uh, Rankle as another sack outlet, because you can attack, take their creature, attack with them, and then when Rankle hits them, you can each sack a creature and you sack theirs, right? Oh, and Woe Strider, right? Sure. So it, it tries to have a good way to make sure it doesn't give those creatures back when it takes them. Hey, you, you played against this in Modern last last week, didn't you? Yeah, I did play against this in Modern last week, and it was rough for me. Because um, I was on the... I was, you know, 30 minutes around the clock, where we're just not really interacting at all. But <laughs> yeah. um, neither one of us should be better than the other, and I think just the way the cards lined up in the matchup, it was good for them. Sure. Um... So I could see somebody putting this, like, in the combo zone just because you're like, oh, steal your creature, sack the thing, combo, right? Right. But I think the really the way it plays is more like an aggro tempo deck is it, it plays some aggressive, it plays some creatures out there and starts hitting and then uses these steal effects to pressure you more and offset your tempo. So I would probably put this at about 30 minutes on the clock. Okay, so, so this... So, and these, uh, like, steal your creature and sacrifice effects, like, they're kind of comboing together, but they're comboing together to achieve disruption. Like, they're yeah, they're, they're, they're doing the disruption effect. Removal, basically. Mm-hmm. So, just like on our, our aggro spectrum kind of runs between, like, well, are we a more removal-heavy aggro deck or a more threat-heavy aggro deck? And the more removal you have, you tend towards being more of a tempo deck. So, this is a very specialized yeah. um, kind of removal. Yeah. Um... And we've got the mono green deck mm-hmm. is coming in at about 7% of the meta. Um, I think the way its curve is set up right now, I would probably push it into the higher curve section of the mid-range decks these days. Okay. Uh, it's got like a good amount of two drops and stuff, but there's not really any good one drops in standard. Um, it pushes in, if I'm not mistaken, it pushes into playing like a good amount of like four drops and stuff. Which is not hugely high on the mana cost, but as far as, like, when you're talking about mid-range decks, usually it's like, are they playing a bunch of twos and threes with some fours and fives in there, or are they playing a bunch of fours? And this one's, like, playing a bunch of threes and fours, you know? Okay. So we're jumping a ways around the clock here, throwing mono green into the, more like a 55 range. Yeah. Um, But to fall back in between them again, uh, I've got, I, I would put mono red on solidly on the uh i don't know i i think i would put it straddling the line between the aggro and the mid-range deck because it's got it's got some some beefy guys in there um what is no the current versions of the deck are really low aren't they there's a bunch of ones and two cost cards um so yeah i'd I'd throw that in there at uh probably like 40 on the clock probably okay so that's pretty solidly just like an aggro yeah um, and then they had, the goldfish had another had red black sacrifice accidentally again, but with a different name. Yeah. So skipping over that, um, we had Naya mid range. Um, let's see, not the adventures deck, the mid range deck. I mean, sorry, I just I want to look at this before I start saying things about it, just because no, the Naya mid range deck and the Naya adventures deck are just. I think that yeah, the mid range deck is the Winota deck. Okay. Um. So. Although it's it's got some aggressive stuff in it, it's really not about trying to uh, aggro out your opponent or just outvalue them. This card, this deck's probably solidly at a five on the clock, which it goes to towards what we were talking about about decks' names being misleading, especially on Goldfish. 
Goldfish and like Star City Games really like to pigeonhole decks as being like a thing that exists already. Yeah. And so like they put this as like Naya midrange, but this is a combo deck. Okay. You play some quick aggressive creatures that are not humans, you play a Winota and have Winota throw out some higher costed humans like uh Kinrith the Returned King or um what's it called? Uh Blade Historian. Mm-hmm. Give all your blade historian gives all your creatures double strike when they're attacking, um, and so this this is a combo deck that's just targeted around comboing. It doesn't do it doesn't interact with your opponent at all, and this is this is the deck that these Sultai control decks are beating up on, right? Right. Why does this keep moving the thing whenever? I am fine with the name just being Naya Midrange on here. I just all right. um. And then after that, it's got Naya Adventures, which is actually a Naya midrange deck, sure. but it's got Edgewell Innkeeper. It's playing a bunch of adventure creatures to generate value and stuff. So it's uh, it's listed as Naya Adventures because that's a kind of a classic archetype these days. Sure, and it, it seems um, like it seems like that problem you mentioned with uh, Goldfish and probably other outlets wanting to like pigeonhole things and and then keep the name the same whatever is like well they had that naya mid-range deck and now here's a naya deck that is a mid-range deck but like oh but we called the other one naya mid-range so instead of adjusting this one's naya adventures yeah yeah um so this one i would probably even though like the the mana costs are kind of low on some of these things mm-hmm. like the the fact that you want to play your edgewall innkeeper and you want to play that play the adventure sides of these cards before playing the actual spell like giant killer costs four mana right because you have to pay three to chop down something before you want to play that one mana creature like you can play the one mana guy if you've got some edgewall innkeepers in play you're just trying to draw some cards and you just like well i'll just skip the chop down and i'll just draw some cards yeah but in general you want to get that value from playing the adventure stuff so even though the curve looks pretty low i would probably put this actually a little on the higher curve of the the mid-range decks okay um just for like how quickly it actually deploys the cards um because i get underneath it with my uh aggro deck sometimes and like yeah this is good against my aggro deck but it's i'm just saying like it's not that fast so um i'd probably put this probably around a uh probably a 53 okay probably boop um, one one of the things we have listed on our clock on the mid range is like whether you're going from a low curve or a, or a high curve because like you know a mid range deck with a low curve is very similar if not just an aggro deck right and like mm-hmm. up to the high curve but also you can think of like this the mid range is sitting in between aggro and combo basically and so like as you move up the scale or like around the clock on the mid range like quarter of it you're moving from aggro towards combo. It's kind of like, in my mind, the way I visualize that is like a ramp deck would end up there like somewhere. Yeah, because you're playing these these the best mid-range threats, but they, to in order to play them, you kind of have to do some stuff with your lands to combo off. Yeah. That's why Tron in Modern feels like a combo deck. Right. But it's like, really, it's a, it's a mid-range deck but like if you play Jund as a classic mid-range deck, you can't beat it because y'all are playing the same thing. Their cards are just better than yours because they cost eight mana. Sure. You know, like, and so like that's why it feels like a combo deck a lot of times because like once you push that curve high enough, 
you have to be doing something that feels combo-y enough to play these giant threats, you know? Right. And, and so, yeah, this is where, I, like, I think kind of ramp decks kind of move anywhere on the on the scale of between the high end of mid-range and the low end of combo. You know, it's like where, where a ramp deck would be, depending on how it works. Uh, but I, I, I'm mentioning all this because it seems like the last couple of uh, mid-range decks that you placed on the clock, you were saying, eh, oh, the Kurt, like, it's got some low-cost stuff, but I think it goes here. It's like, the low-cost to high-cost isn't the only metric by which you move around this. this uh, yeah, I was not really thinking about, like, the actual mana cost, so I was just thinking about the pacing of play. Yeah. You know, okay. is what I was trying to use. Sure, and that that's fair, too. I was just mentioning, cause, uh, just because you had mentioned it a couple times, like, yeah, that's not necessarily the only metric we'll use anyhow. It's just... Uh, yeah, um, and then another, once again, the the Prismari mid-range deck, not a mid-range deck. <laughs> um, I'd probably put this one at kind of like a 20. What, do I have Demir Rogues at 20 right now? I'd probably... Probably put it a little more controlly than Demir Rogue, so probably like a seventeen. Okay. So this is this is a control deck with that tempos out the, your opponent a little bit by just having a like Galazeth Prismari comes down and you can tap these artifact the artifact that it makes or there's a couple other incidental artifacts in the deck that can come down before it and you can use those to still play your counter spells and stuff once you've played the dragon. Yeah. And so this is this is the blue red dragon deck. Sure. Oh, okay. um, this is different than than what I thought it was. I think the last time I was playing uh, standard uh, up there at Boardwalk, I played against a guy who was basically playing this. I think, except he also had um, well, I don't remember what his name is. That Planeswalker from Ikoria, and he's basically playing a polymorph deck. And so I was like, man, I would have thought this would be a combo deck, but but this deck, at least one listed here in a. Uh, as the example on goldfish is not that it's like kind of just yeah it's a dragon com it's a dragon like control deck okay um so yeah i i'd put that at a solid 17 it's a little in the tempo-y side because the the threats in it are just very fast at closing the game out once they start coming down yeah um and then like the the adventures are good at playing that tempo game sure okay Oh man, this deck has magic missile in it. I have said multiple times, I think, on this podcast that nobody's playing magic missile ever. <laughs> I mean, I've I've said like almost every episode since since it got like spoiled or whatever that I think it's bad. So you know, you know, I gotta stick it's to my funny. guns. I gotta stick to my guns on this one. I still think it's bad, even if it's like the best option, which I'm not even sure it's that, but could be, could be. Still think. It's bad. Um. Yeah. Um. And something just to keep in mind, um, there are some different, there's some other decks that are kind of popular that you don't, that are not really on the goldfish breakdown that I think you probably not, you may not see them in tournaments. Maybe that's why they're not on goldfish, but you might see them on the ladder. So you were talking about the, the Luca deck. Yeah, that's his name. I think that's the, the Teamer Adventures deck because they usually are trying to Luca into Coma, the Cosmos Serpent. Um, like that's a popular deck. That's pro- that one's probably kind of on the like a ten on the clock or something, but it's not listed here, so it must not be showing up well in tournaments. Um, but yeah, those, I think those are the top eight decks in standard right now. But I think Sultai Control is very much the most commonly played deck right now. So I think if I were looking to play a big tournament, I would look to play 
Um, probably Demir Rogues to um, Rakdos Sacrifice, maybe, somewhere in there. Um, and I would shy away from the the Naya Winota deck. The mono green deck is probably also a little bit weak right now against the the, the most played deck. So that's like I would probably head towards those. Uh, I think I said this last time because I think Sultai was the most popular deck last time we did this metagame breakdown, which we only added one set to a standard that already had seven. So it's not super surprising that the meta hasn't hugely shifted. Yeah. Um, so it's like the Sultai Control deck still the most popular one, so I think I'd still be playing, if I was trying to win a tournament, I'd still be playing those, uh, those tempo decks, um, that are a little, little closer to the aggro-y line. I, I think I would like to play, I think Demir Rogues is probably still best bet. Um, I think that the, the, the Rakdos deck is probably quite good, but it just doesn't line up super good against the Sultai deck just because the Sultai deck doesn't play a lot of creatures that the uh, the Rakdos deck can take advantage of with its removal. And so I think the Rakdos deck might be better positioned on the clock, but I think just some of the cards that are in it don't line up as well against the, the, the most popular deck as I would like them to, you know what I mean? Yeah. I like the Prismari mid-range deck a little bit, but I think it's it's uh not going to close out the game fast enough against the Sultai control decks to be as reliable. And I think that something like Mono Red is probably still pretty good. You're just killing your opponent before they get to do their thing. So the the first thing here on our clock is the Naya mid-range at 5. Which, that's a definitely a combo deck. It's on the, on the low end of the combo spectrum. And that's a... You said that's the Winota deck, right? Yep. And it looks like it's probably not situated very good right now because the yeah i think it's gonna it's gonna get some of its threats out yeah it's gonna play its winota that first winota is gonna get blown up by whatever removal spell the sultai deck has Mm -hmm. and then the sultai deck's gonna play their sultai ultimatum and kill them you know like yeah so really it looks like uh a lot of the decks that people are playing right now are falling into a range that the Winota deck might be good against, which is to say in the previous, or in the counterclockwise half of the of the clock, uh, the deck that is getting played the most, which is a full quarter of, of all of the decks, is is the next one up on the clock, was in the area that's going to beat the Winota deck, right? Which is Sultai yeah. Control in at 14. Yeah. Which puts it at pretty much like a strictly controlled deck. Uh, similarly, there's Prismari Midrange. Also, it's it's like the least popular of these decks, but it's another one of the top eight decks getting played. It's coming in also right it right in that range at Control with a 17, and uh, those are close enough together on the clock that they're probably not getting a huge advantage on each other by by being you know. I'd say that it does seem to me. I I would think that the Prismari deck would have a slight edge against the. Sultai deck. Sure, which is why it's probably... Is represented the way it is on the clock. Right. But it's not huge because they are pretty similar on pacing and interaction and stuff. Yeah. And uh, just just another small step along from there, we've got Demir Rogues at 20, which I think similarly, again, it's like a small advantage over the Prismari midrange, but now we're starting to get a reasonably significant advantage over the Sultai control deck. Uh... But if you really want to beat the Sultai Control being the most popular deck right now, I think the uh, 
or at least the original theory of the metagame clock would suggest you want to be about 15 minutes advanced from there on the clock. Yeah, which would would really be this Rakdos Sacrifice deck. I was just saying, I looking at the, the, the threats that are in it and the, re, the removal that it's got and stuff, I think its removal and disruption and stuff is just not the right stuff to deal with that Sultai deck. Okay, so you think in this case, this may not be the exact deck that you want? Uh, it's positioned in the right place, but I think it's just the cards don't say the right words on them. Sure. So, like, this is this is the kind of deck that you would want to play, as in, like, this right here in, like, a, a removal-heavy aggro deck or, or really threat-heavy tempo deck sort of area. It's just that not every deck in that area is going to happen to work out perfectly against every deck you know, like, there's just variations. Like, I think I said before we actually got started here, you know? Yeah. Like, there is there is some perturbation in the system, right? Uh, but that's that's where our red-black sacrifice deck lands. And then just a little bit further on, the deck that would beat that one, or a deck that would beat that one, is our mono-red aggro deck coming in at 40, which is again, almost a full 15 minutes on from the sacrifice deck. How do you think that plays out? Is that pretty pretty accurate that mono red aggro is typically going to beat your red black sacrifice yeah i think so okay i think the the sacrifice deck's just gonna look cute while the mono red deck is killing it <laughs> all right and then the uh a, a another pretty significant jump is the naya adventures deck coming in at 53 so that's where you want to be to beat that red aggro deck yeah, I think all the adventure halves of those um, cards are going to protect you well from the, the Mono Red's threats, and then your threats coming down are just going to be bigger than theirs. Like, like your Robber of the Rich is not getting through a Lovestruck Beast, you know? Sure. And then, like, right in that same range, you've got the Mono Green mid-range deck at 55. Yep. And it's just, it's it doesn't have as much removal and stuff to interact with the, the aggro decks, but it's it's got more of those just solid wall of blockers cards. Sure. And then, uh, you know... And then if those decks get popular, you pop back around the clock to that Naya Winota deck and you play that, right? Sure. And, and we've come full circle, which is what this whole spectrum is meant to represent. Um, so yeah, make, yeah, it makes sense. Like you said, the uh, the absolute most popular deck right now is in there at around a 15. So, like, the next couple of most popular... And looking at these... I looked at these lists a little bit more on the um, Goldfish. Mm-hmm. And the ones that they've got listed as the black green sacrifice decks instead of the red black sacrifice decks, yeah, are playing a lot more of those cards that I was saying doesn't interact well with what their the Zoltai decks are doing. But the ones they actually have listed as red black sacrifice, um, even though both decks are red black sacrifice decks, the one they've actually got listed as red black has a lot more of these aggressive threats and stuff, and a little bit more removal that is good against the Zoltai deck. So I think actually if you are looking at the lists on Goldfish, yeah. those decks are quite similar, but the difference between them is I think the ones that are listed as red-black are keyed to be better against these uh, Sultai decks. So maybe if, you, if you're if you looking at that, I think that the, the actual red-black decks are probably pretty good. Okay, okay. That's, that's good to know. I was just, I looked at, I glanced over the list and I was just kind of like, why does Goldfish have these separate? They're kind of the same deck. Mm-hmm. But it's just like the the um I think that the one of the sets of decks kind of just is leaning a little towards uh threat production and that and therefore the since there's not as much of that 
steal your guy, sack it to draw cards or whatever effects, mm -hmm. it's playing a little bit more streamlined removal, which actually does line up better against the Sultai deck. Okay. So I, I do think that the that that's probably true. I so I I think if you're looking at Goldfish where we got these lists from mm -hmm. and you look at the red black sacrifice deck that's listed as green black sacrifice, I think that one is gonna be kind of I think they're still kind of the same deck, but I think that it's just people shifted around what's in the sideboard and what's in the main. Sure. And that one's going to be a little bit uh, a weaker against the Sultai decks. And then if you switch over and look at the decks that are just listed as Red Black X, I think that that's, that is probably good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that would uh, probably help to explain some of the discrepancy between like where, where we put those decks on the clock and, and how well they play against like how the clock suggests they ought to work. Yeah. Because um, sideboarding can really affect your whether your deck's playing like it should normally. Yeah. And 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 again, I, I think that even uh, the original like article on this and our, our episode when we were talking about the metagame and clock and they all has always made clear like this isn't going to encompass everything that can happen in a metagame because this is just one layer of it and like one of the strengths of magic is that it's constantly creating unique cards so there'd always be something that just kind of like warps the metagame or and if our listeners want to hear a more in-depth coverage about a metagame clock um what episode was that oh i think it was episode 25 or maybe no not 25 that's way too far maybe it's 55 let me check is something i have 55 is the metagame yeah. clock, yes. Episode 55. So yeah, if somebody, if you want to hear what our, how a metagame clock works more in depth, uh, uh, in episode 55, it was one of our On the Shoulders of Giants episodes. That's true. Um, generally, this isn't always true because I, uh, I have not always been perfectly consistent in, uh, like, uploading things and, like, Chain. There, there are some details about how, like, actually getting stuff uploaded into the RSS feed and stuff um, works. That it, it, it's not a big deal. I'm saying this doesn't necessarily always work, but typically you can find a specific track. Let's see, it's SoundCloud.com/slash Planeswalkers Anonymous/slash EP or whatever the episode number was. So, like, our most recent episode, the Hunter Burton Memorial Open episode, would have been. SoundCloud.com slash Planeswalkers Anonymous slash EP72, right? Um, but I bring this up because our episodes aren't actually numbered. Like on, like if you're listening on a on a Apple Podcasts or whatever, uh, it does it doesn't have the episode numbers. So what you're gonna be looking for, if you're looking for the metagame clock episode in like Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or something, is the episode titled "Clocking the Metagame." And it is the 55th one. If So if you're scrolling through, it, it's about two-thirds of the way through our episodes, or 20 episodes back. Yeah. Um, it's uh, October 24th of 2020. It was the last, the last episode before we went on hiatus. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, sorry, that, that was a complicated way of getting at that. But, but yeah, it's, it's called Clocking the Metagame. We go more in-depth about how the metagame clock works. And also, in the show notes for that, you can find uh, the original explanation from leon workman um i believe that the link to that is actually uh gonna take you to the the web archive.org because the only that's the only place i could find the original of this this post was from the dojo and a lot of the dojo articles have been moved over to star city games now 
Um, but apparently that one I, I couldn't couldn't find on Star City. Anyway, uh, that was just kind of got off on a tangent. But you were right on that. It was episode 55, Clocking the Metagame. You said it was October of last year? Yep. I'm a fan of this whole metagame clock concept. I, th- I just think it's cool. Um, I think it's a good way to be able to, like, kind of visualize the metagame and help you make some metagame decisions, you know? Yeah, and I think that if people paid attention to this mm-hmm. and, you know, listened to our podcast more, <laughs> we might have less of an issue of people complaining about Standard being stale. Yeah. Because if they really paid attention to this kind of stuff and looked at what was popular in the meta right now, um, they could the, the decks that were most popular would shift their way around the metagame clock right. like, on a weekly basis. Right, because... Like, Whereas right now, there's kind of just been Sultai Control has been popular, and that's what people play, because it's quote-unquote the best deck. Right. like, But people forget that it's the best deck as long as you're not playing against a field of all rogues. Yeah, and like, it's it seems like... Um, I mean, I think this is kind of basically what you were just saying, phrased in another way. But it seems like right now, the way people evaluate the metagame is they go and look and see what deck has won the most recently, and they say, ah, that is what I should play, you know? Um, yeah. But really, a a more accurate, a more useful way to evaluate the metagame is not actually to ask what is winning the most. You don't need to know what's winning the most. What you want to know is what's getting played the most, and then don't play that, but play the thing that beats that. Yeah. And to, to get more in-depth, you don't necessarily want to know what's winning the most overall, but winning the most among good players who are getting into the top tables. And so it gets a lot more complicated. And it's going to be a lot more complicated than just looking at this metagame clock and going around 15 minutes or whatever, you know? Uh, it, it does get a lot more involved than that. But at a basic level, I think people are generally doing it wrong is they're playing the deck that's winning the most tournaments, not the deck that is most likely to win against the most people, which I think is the correct way to do a metagame evaluation. Yeah. Um, I think that there is some issue with um, Standard being lower power level than uh, some of the other formats, so that the the Tier 2 decks and stuff Mm -hmm. are just not as good. Sure. You know? Because I think, honestly, like... The mono green deck in standard is just not as good as the Sultai deck, right? Yeah. Um, it's also poorly positioned against it, but that's not the point, right? <laughs> it's just that, like, I think it's just not quite as good. Okay. And with the the lack of card variation in the format, like, there's just not as many different cards that do different effects. It's harder to have a deck that's not the most popular deck that is on the same level with that deck, you know? Sure. And so I think that people are just too scared that the deck's going to be a Tier 2 deck. Whereas, like, I think I've mentioned to you in the past, hopefully to our listeners as well, that the the larger the card pool for the format, mm-hmm. the more likely that a tier that the lower tier decks are worth playing. Yeah. Because the power level gets higher and higher, and so therefore the gap in power level doesn't need to be as much between the tiers for it to be noticeable. Sure. And therefore tier three decks or whatever in legacy i think are still fine because they're almost as good as the tier one decks they just you just you can can quite tell a difference you know yeah and so i i I think that standard does suffer from being like okay people like well i just want to play a tier one deck and they're just scared that anything that's not the most 
play deck is not tier one. I think they're wrong. Yeah. A lot of times, but they're just worried that it's like, oh, this deck's the best deck, and there's just not enough good cards in the format for other decks to be as good. Yeah, I also think that standard, uh, you know, it benefits from rotation. It also suffers from the rotation. So, like, someone say builds the Sultai midrange deck, and then they, even if they were to decide next week that it'd be better for them to be playing like the Demir Rogues deck to be other people playing Sultai midrange, they already have Sultai midrange, and they may not want to build a whole nother standard deck when, like, we're going to have a rotation here in a couple of months, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think people, like, I guess it's not really different in the formats that don't rotate, is people commit to a deck there too, but that's because the decks are more expensive, whereas in standard, I think people sometimes commit to a deck because they don't, like, yeah, but in the stuff like Modern and Legacy, it's more likely that a somebody who's taking competitive gaming very seriously mm-hmm. will have their Modern deck, and then they'll also have, like, a second Modern deck that is good against the things that that Modern deck is bad against. Yeah. You know, it's so like, well, this is my deck, but, like, whenever this one's particularly bad, I play this other one because it's good against those things, you know? Sure, sure, and that's like... Because they can, they don't have to worry about those rotating so they can have both decks and one of them can sit unused for six months and it won't be a big deal. Right. You know? And, like, I think that also, like, speaks to some similarity of what you're saying just a minute ago about how if people were paying attention to this, then the most popular deck would, like, kind of step around the clock by about 10 or 15 minutes every every week or so. Every week or two. Because, like, Sultai Midrange is, like, the best deck. Or people think it's the best deck, right? And so that means that playing uh, the Demir Rogues or or maybe uh, even the Red Sacrifice Black. deck would be the right thing to play against that. So then everyone would, would come prepared with those. And then the following week, people would be like, man, there was a whole lot of Red Black Sacrifice at FNM this week. I'm going to play Naya Adventures. And so that would be the most played deck that week. And so then people would be wanting to play that uh, Sultai Control deck again, you know? Yeah, and then they then people might have more fun if they did the work <laughs> to pay attention to how how meta games work. It's like an ecosystem, and yeah, and that's I think that's why a lot of times, from my experience, people who are really experienced Magic players mm-hmm. are liking Modern and Legacy more than Standard right now. Yeah, is because they're not they're not willing to build that second deck for Standard. You know, and so it's just like they just, they see the same stuff all the time. Whereas with modern and stuff, they have more time to have built that deck, and so they can do this stepping around the clock thing because they have the resources. Sure, sure. Also, um, may, maybe sometime in the future, it might take a lot more because there's so many more decks and stuff. But maybe, maybe every once in a while, we ought to uh, put out a clock for for modern or legacy or something. Yeah, I think that we did do a modern legacy's hard because just having data of what's what's popular in Legacy is hard because, like, what's playing on Moto is what most of the data's from, but if you're playing in paper, it does not reflect that. Sure. Because in paper, people are playing what they could get their hands on. Yeah, in paper, they're playing what they can afford to play. Right. Which some people have the lands and stuff to make big changes on decks and be like, well, I played Tez last week, but I think that's not good right now, so I'm going to play Bant Control, you know? But they probably are playing specific legacy decks that they have, not just the one that they think is good, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, 
Uh, I think, like I said at the beginning, you're going to be able to get the most out of this episode if you can look at the uh, the image that I'm going to post with it. So where, wherever it is you're getting this, you should have some means to get at it. I know a lot of people listen to podcasts when they're like driving to work and stuff, so I'm not suggesting that you, you get on your phone and start looking at this picture on your phone while you're driving or anything, but uh, I think it's going to be... But maybe whenever you get where you're going, you may want to break out your phone and look at the uh, look at the clock so you can really grok the things we said. Yeah, but uh, if you're not on some medium where it's displaying the clock as the image for the show, which is, I think, most podcast apps, most of them have, you know, the show note area underneath the show. There'll be a link there to take you just to the imager where I'll have the image posted. And um, it'll have what the clock looks like if you're having trouble visualizing that with all those details that we mentioned about, like, uh, tempo, aggro, like what those, what determines where you are on the spectrum of those, and then all the decks listed with their their number for where they are in this sort of, like, just little radial uh, graph. One might say, like, a metagame clock? Yeah, like a clock. A circle with numbers around it. All right. I think that's all we've got on the the standard metagame clock for now. I think we actually had somebody listen and give us some feedback on what how we could do better, right? Uh, well, I'm not actually sure that that you could could say that as they kind of just agreed with us. Which, <laughs> but but we did we did get a comment on on SoundCloud and and I was like kind of excited about this because like. We get comments on SoundCloud all the time. I get an e- I get an email letting me know that there's a comment on SoundCloud, but it is always, always a bot saying like, "Oh, I love this song. It's great. If you want more publicity, you should apply to this." <laughs> so I had a a notification that we got a comment on SoundCloud, and I was like, "I roll, okay," but just just because I thought, well. I should look just in case. I don't want to overlook someone. You do your due diligence with each comment, BJ. Right. I I took a look, and uh, we got a a comment from a listener called Joseph, who was commenting on our episode 25, uh, which is titled, I'm Blue, da-bee-dee-da-bee-da. And we were talking in that episode about the uh, color philosophy of the color pie, that's specifically blue. Um, But we mentioned in the news that... At that time, Jumpstart hadn't come out yet, but we talked about it a little bit, and Joseph commented that he, I assume, excuse me if I'm wrong, completely agrees with us about Jumpstart not benefiting new players. Yeah, I think we were talking about how like the, the really big, bomby chase rares in the set meant people bought up all the packs so that they could open them for the, the bombs, and they weren't available for new players to buy and use for, for learning or for for playing with yeah yeah and oh i just i don't know i feel like there was some other like issue that i had with the concept of like getting two packs and shuffling them together or whatever it just i i can't remember what i said at the time but i feel like right now i mean like it just seems like the sort of gimmicky thing that like get you sort of a a flash in the pan sort of thing for like players who are very into magic be like oh here's a neat thing i'll try it once and you'll get some sales that way but like new players generally don't start with just a couple of packs and some random mini game thing you know 
they usually start by being taught to play by someone else, right? I mean, I I bought four jumpstart packs for me to use to teach someone to play. Yeah. And they're sitting unopened on my in my stuff because it's it's there for if so I want to teach somebody to play with, I can pull those out, we can shuffle them up and uh play some games without me having to explain to them like why you don't bolt a Tarmogoyf, you know? Sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I don't I guess I don't remember that clearly what we said about Jumpstart, but I didn't like Jumpstart very much. I can say that. <laughs> but I responded I don't like Jumpstart very much, but that's purely a pink print quality thing at this point. The packs are the sets just really poorly printed. Oh really? Why? Like what's uh-huh. what's up with it? The images are really blurry and Ooh. not refined. They they look like cheap knockoff magic cards. That's really sad. Yeah, it really is. Especially with, like, the demand that, that they were in. Yeah. It's late-stage capitalism, man. That's true. Is That's true. Giant corporations trying to spend as little as possible to make all of the money in the world. But I, I replied to this comment on SoundCloud because, like I said, I was excited to have a comment from, like, an actual listener, you know? And But all I, all I had I said, hey, thanks, man. You might be our first real comment on SoundCloud. Um that was fun. For me. Then you laughed out loud. I did, in fact, laugh out loud. Or at least I said I did. Um, yes. What's next? I think that's an episode, man. I think that's everything we All got right. this week. Uh, we could, you know, keep on complaining about Jumpstart, or we could go on and talk about the modern metagame, but we better leave something for other episodes. Complain about mystery boosters. Oh, but actually, just as a comment to people, the mystery boosters, the reason we had that for opening is just... If you are interested in those, mm-hmm. stores have Mystery Booster Convention Editions, again, for a limited time at least. Yeah, stores like Boardwalk Games in North Dallas. Uh, where you can find Donovan most days of the week, slinging cardboard. Um, or you can find me on Twitter at day underscore Donovan, or Tuesday nights I stream on Twitch at dday underscore 99. Fantastic. And uh, I guess next week we're going to talk about the... What, the... the story like plotline stuff for adventures in the forgotten realms is there is there a story for the D like corset thing probably all right that's on our schedule uh if you want to tweet at me to let me know how it, like that that this is like the best magic story in the last decade uh you can find me on twitter at engine within you could also email the show if you want to at planeswalkerspod at gmail.com. That will go directly to me, and I will inform Donovan that we got an email. Or Woo! you can visit patreon.com slash planeswalkers to support the show. You can actually Woo! contact us on there also. Like, it's in here with the other ways to contact us on patreon.com slash planeswalkers. There is a method to do that. But more importantly, you can give us money. Wow, you greedy bitch. And that gets you into the monthly giveaways. So if you want to win, uh, what is it? This time we've got six packs of magic cards, including a collector's pack and a mystery booster. You know, get on that patreon.com. Until next time, I love about 40% of you. Later days. Which 40%? I don't know. I guess I just, I, I assume that most people in the world, like probably around 60% are crappy people and so i just oh, so it's not like 
you love forty percent of each people, like you like their arms <laughs> and their legs, but no, no, yeah, I, I, I assume that most of our listeners are actually people I don't like. Um, I appreciate their listening clearly. If this makes it in the episode. I want them to know that like, I absolutely uh, am grateful for all of their uh, uh, ears. Ears and, and if this doesn't make it in the episode, you think they're bats. Got it. No, no. I'm pretty sure every single one of you is one of, is part of that 40% that I actually like. Oh, it's the people who don't listen are the 60%? It's all of our listeners. Oh, 40% of people in the world listen to us? That's amazing. It, it's all of our listeners who jump oh, off no. at the, uh, at, like, as soon as we start doing the credits that I don't like. Oh, uh, yeah, most people suck. They never hear this one. What am I going to do with all these swords? Did you say swords? Uh, yeah? Is your home or office cluttered with spare swords of feast and famine, swords of body and mind, and swords of war and peace? Yes! I've been needing to clear those out of the nursery. Well, you're in luck, friend. Swords to Plowshares is opening a brand new location near you. Bring your sword and other valuable weapons to Swords to Plowshares and exchange them for basic agricultural equipment. Exchange your clutter for different clutter at Swords to Plowshares. Hey, uh... What are you doing in my house? I figure I'd just throw up an, uh, an ad that we've already got on this one. Oh, okay. That's better. Better than what? Figured I'd just throw up. Oh. Oh. You, went, you Captain Hammered that speech. There you go. That'll do. That'll do, Pink. That'll do. That's mean. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I've seen that movie too many times, though. Why? It's awful. I was a child. Alright. Children don't have good taste in movies. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I assume you said children don't have good taste in movies. That is what I said. What did you hear? I, I said, children don't have to taste the movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was very Most weird. People. I was worried you'd heard me say something like, children don't taste good in movies. <laughs>